You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. This past week, it seems it's picked up a little bit on campus. It's been a little bit busier. Are you ready to get out to Fargo? Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited. We get to leave uh, Saturday morning and basically make a Saturday full day. night, depending on where you cut off. Right, true. The morning and night. Technically, yeah, I guess you're right. It's either Friday morning or Saturday night. Uh, oh, no. It's either Friday night or Saturday morning, I should say. Um, but I'm excited. We have a full day planned. I mean, we're either flying, calling the game, or sleeping. Uh, besides that, like, small gap of adventuring around whatever Fargo has to offer right. after the we game. we got to get some food. Um, and Food's eat, a big priority. Eat, yeah, eat and drink and have oxygen is important. But I'm excited. Um, from what Pump. I've heard from other people, um, Fargo is not the biggest place of anything except this team and this stadium and this right. FCS football, that's, yeah. that's their biggest thing, so we're and they're really good into, at it. I mean, we had the opportunity to go to Virginia Tech last year into a place that was nothing but football, and now we're going to another place that is probably more nothing but football than Virginia Tech was, and it's going to be great. I'm excited. Uh, excited to rep the Delaware Blue and Gold, and I'm sure, Brandon, you're excited to rep your Carson Wentz jersey around there. Yeah, you got to rep a little Carson Wentz. I know I won't be the only one. I was oh, reading no that way. on Sundays now they have... Eagles watch parties. A lot of people there are Vikings fans. That's typically you know the geographical alliance. But there were some split opinions. At least once didn't play in that game, so you probably had more people Vikings than Eagles in last year's conference championship. But they love them some Carson Wentz, just like we do right here in that region. So that's kind of funny that of all the places in the country, these are the two places with the biggest Carson Wentz fandom, and they're twenty-hour drive apart. A couple. Plane rides are two apart that we'll be taking, like we said, early Saturday morning to get you that action Saturday afternoon. And then I'll be writing about it. We will have a Delaware Football Roundup podcast afterwards. So our typical slew of coverage, if if not more coverage than we typically have, as this is a pretty big one for the Blue Hens. I mean, obviously, this is the number one team in the country. They've won six of the last seven national championships. They've won 14 national championships in their history as a school between the Division One and Division Two levels, you can't really put it any more than that as far as the significance of this game and how good of an opponent North Dakota State is. Year in, year out, that program has proven to be successful no matter who is out there on the field. It's interchangeable parts. Every year, this is a run-first, physical, aggressive team that's one of the best in the country. And it has an extra weight, especially for a Delaware team, because... Again, we play Virginia Tech, and we're playing a great team, but we're never going to see them pretty much ever besides one of these games. This is a team that, whether it be this year, whether it be next year, this might not be the first time or only time we play them in the season. This is a team that later in the playoffs we very well could possibly see. Uh, so I think it kind of adds that extra weight of this isn't just a stranger. This is somebody who we can see, and they're going to, I guarantee you, play with that extra little uh, chip on their shoulder that they know that. They could see this team again, and if they win this, they might see this team again later in the year. Right. Isn't that the whole thing that you always talk about in any league is you have to eventually beat the guys who are at the top? Yeah. And for the last seven years, everybody's been trying to take down this team. The only team to do it is actually James Madison, who has always been, for us in these last few years, the comparison, the example for Delaware and how a team at this level at the same size of Delaware in the same conference can compete nationally. James Madison has been the example of that. They've gone one and two against North Dakota State. The Bison have played six games against CAA teams during this run, and they're five and one. They beat Towson in the 2013 National Championship. They beat James Madison in last year's National Championship. Like I said, JMU beat them in 2016 on the way to the National Championship in the semifinal round. And then they've beaten New Hampshire and... I believe one other team, I forget exactly who, maybe Stony Brook, in the playoffs in the past few years. They have experience against the CAA, but this will be the first meeting between these two teams. It won't be the first time for Danny Rocco in North Dakota State. He played there, I guess that was the other team, Richmond. In 2015, his Richmond Spiders went to North Dakota State, went to the Fargo Dome in the semifinals of the playoffs, and North Dakota State sent them packing 33-7. to But Rocco and a lot of members on the staff that came from Richmond to Delaware with Rocco, they know this place. They know how much is going to be put on the opposing team by the crowd, by the atmosphere, and they know how good the other team on the other sideline is. Yeah, and it you made you brought up a good point because we know Rocco and Richmond, but what people may not know is 
a lot of this coaching staff followed Rocco and trickled in from Rocco's old coaching staff. So they are all together. And the value that that brings to a team, an entire roster that has never played North Dakota State, but a coaching staff that has, and they've seen them and they've played them, that adds so much value to a team because it's not the players freaking out. And while the coaches might not show it, they're probably like, we're playing North Dakota. This is a coaching staff that knows them. They're calmer. They can communicate with the team, know, talk to them what they saw, talk to them, how North Dakota State played. And it kind of adds that calming factor of, okay, there's some similarity, some familiarity between these two organizations. Right. And you also, as players, are able to draw back, as you've mentioned on that experience with Virginia Tech last year in particular, but even before that with games against Wake Forest, uh, with games against Pitt for some guys, North Carolina for some of the older guys on this team. They do have big game experience. And I guess my next question to you would be, how does this compare to and you've kind of addressed it, but how does this type of game against an FCS team compare to those big matchups against ACC schools? Um, first, in maybe the atmosphere perspective, and then a little bit later on we'll get into the, the X's and O's and some of the differences between FBS and FCS programs like Delaware. Atmosphere-wise, I think this that might actually be louder. This might have a little more fun to it. I agree. Because... People from Virginia, and I've talked to a bunch of people, like six or seven of my friends went go to Virginia Tech, and I talked to them about Delaware, and I was like, "You going to the game? You going?" And one of them, kind of cold heartedly and straight up, said, "It's Delaware. Like, I want to watch a competitive game." We and we ended up giving them a competitive right. game, but on paper, it's not competitive. It's kind of like Blue Hens fans going to the Lafayette game. Yeah, it's like it's an expected win. Yeah, why, you, why, why is why that the one that I'm going out of my way for? But now. North Dakota State, and while they probably have the same mentality of, yeah, it's Delaware, it's a lot closer, and it's a lot closer to home. They're in the same pool. They play a lot of the same teams. So I expect a lot more showing out, um, and the atmosphere as, as a whole to just be louder. And I think some schools, particularly at the FCS level, they might give Delaware a little bit more respect than perhaps they even deserve based off Delaware's resume in the past couple of years. I feel... And maybe this is just the way that the media covers it, but I feel as though there's this kind of respect that is naturally put on Delaware because everybody goes back and they say, well, this is a really good program and they have all these runs of success. And yes, it hasn't happened recently, but everybody accepts Delaware as this FCS power or at least a, a former FCS power that will soon get back to that stage. And I feel that's the same here with North Dakota State in that Hearing Chris Kleiman, North Dakota State's head coach, speak earlier this week, he, he treats this as their toughest opponent yet, which it probably is on the season. North Dakota State's played Cal Poly at North Alabama. But he also recognizes that this is a program that's had a lot of success. And it's a team now with Danny Rocco, who's a coach that he's coached against, that has a lot of experienced players, a lot of seniors on this team coming back from last year when you look at it just on paper from the outside looking in, and now a pretty good quarterback and running back tandem on the offensive side that teams do look out for. So while here the last couple of years have been disappointing, and even the beginning of this season was especially disappointing for Blue Hens fans, they still do garner some respect from other FCS teams. So I totally agree with you that North Dakota State probably gets up a little bit more for this Delaware game than Virginia Tech would for last year's Delaware game. And you, when I put some notes down, I put a note, and you actually just hit it, that Delaware has a solid quarterback-running back combo, that we're solidified. We are, we have our guy, and we're going to play our guy for all four quarters of this game. There should be no reason that Pat Kehoe doesn't take a snap unless it's Joe Walker running a wildcat. Yeah. Besides that, that's all Delaware wants, wants and needs. They don't want to have to worry about who's going to take the next stab, who's going to take the next drive, or what running backs they're going to put in. You're going to get Kanai Kane, you're going to get Lee, and you're going to live with it, and that's the best we have, and that's what we're going to run with. Right. Mm-hmm. For better or for worse. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's what they're going to – they know exactly what's coming this weekend. It's, so they can focus on other things. They can uh-huh. focus on the defense. They can focus on the special teams and uh, getting the snaps to the quarterback, getting the snaps to the punter, um, which I think is another great point that you brought up because it is going to be really important for them. So Delaware coming into this matchup is 2-1 and one on the season, coming off two consecutive wins against Cornell and Lafayette. This will be their first road game of the season, and it's also the last non-conference game of the year. Going back quickly to Cornell before we jump back into this matchup against North Dakota State, 
Now, what is it that we've learned about this team through those second two games of the season after Rhode Island? We talk about the quarterback positions now established. Whether or not he's elite is a different question, but you know who the starting quarterback is week in, week out. We know what to expect from the running backs. Are there other areas of this team that you've learned more about in those last two weeks that were more question marks heading into the season or after that Rhode Island game? I think it's just the offense. The defense played well against Rhode Island, giving up only 14 defensive points. The seven was on the uh, botched punt. And the defense has been great. So the defense really was never a question. It really was the offense. And now that we're three games in, we've said it before, we said it like 30 seconds ago, that we're convinced it's going to be Kehoe and we have the running game. Charles Scarf has emerged as a huge part of this offense, and Kehoe has been using him a lot more. Joe Walker has not necessarily... Uh, surprisingly, but has become the top wide receiver on this team. And you have a pair of running backs that are really solid. They have your backup tight ends, whether it be Owen Tyler, yeah, he dropped the ball, but he played pretty well. You have these players, and I think for the first Delaware football rounder, we talked about people with potential and people that have um, a lot of opportunity. I said it. Everyone has a lot of opportunity, and the people have, like Owen Tyler, uh, like Lee, have taken that opportunity and made something out of it. So I think this team is more solidified. This team is more unified. And I think it's a good place to be. I like that you mentioned Charles Scarf there, too. I asked Pat Kehoe on Monday a little bit about Joe Walker as Kehoe was talking about how some balls you look at pre-snap or 50-50 matchups, but then, or excuse me, 50-50 alignment, and then you look at the matchup and you go, okay, my guy gives me 60-40% chance or 65-35. And I went, was Joe Walker one of those guys, right? He makes the three big catches in the Cornell game last week. And he said, yes, but then he immediately went to Charles Scarf, and I got a guy who's six five over the middle, who's also been able to make some plays for me. Then he went down the you know the list to Papali, who's had a good start to the season as well, career high in receiving yards last game. Jarman struggled a little bit so far in the early going, but those two guys, Walker and Scarf, a big improvement from last year where they were a part of the mix, but now we're starting to see them a little bit more. Yeah, and one last thing, and we talked about it. Um, but using Charles Scarf for those third downs, we talked about that slot position, whether it be Gene Coleman or Vinny Papali. I think Vinny Papali's kind of taking that step up. We haven't seen much of Gene Coleman and lots of backup work. That's going to be huge against North Dakota because we're going to get a lot of third downs. Whether or not we like it, we're going to probably see a lot more third downs than we're used to because this is a, a good team. It's a loud atmosphere. That's his place. He needs to step up and convert those third downs. Delaware so far this season has been great on third down. They're 47.6% successful which puts them second in the conference. But like you said, Jake, you're not going to be getting five, six, seven-yard gains on first and second down consistently when you're facing a defense like this that they're going up against in North Dakota State, one of the best in the nation. So they want to stay on schedule, but at some point in the game, you got to line up and pick up a third and long on, to keep a drive alive to win a game like this. And North Dakota State's going to have to do the same thing against the Blue Hens defense. But you look at them on paper, maybe they're a little bit more well-equipped do it. We do have a lot more North Dakota State Delaware discussion on the way. We're going to get into a little bit more of the X's and O's. But before we go to break, Jake, what would be the fallout or the significance of this game if Delaware somehow, some way, pulled off the upset win? Losing to URI week one was their CAA crutch. They really took a hit on that URI loss, whether whether or not we liked it. They took a hit. Winning against North Dakota State, while it's not a CAA matchup, brings that energy and excitement back to this team, that this team is an elite defense. They are well-coached, well-equipped, good returning players. Beating North Dakota reestablishes Delaware on in the top 25, reestablishes Delaware at a competitive CAA team. Because you mentioned it, JMU is really the only team that's been able to fight the beast. And if once Del- if Delaware can do it and overcome it, the sky's the limit for this team. This team gets a huge boost, and I think they are well on their way to top 25. It won't be easy, but it will be fun for sure. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. So we've asked for your reaction via Twitter to our three polls this week. So didn't take specific takes, but we got a pretty good sampling of our audience for this next six discussion. Jake Lampert. Joins me on Brandon Havick. This is Blue and Sports Cage on WVUD. The first poll is which team in the AFC would you be most scared to play against? 
And the options on that poll are the Kansas City Chiefs, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the New England Patriots, and I didn't quite understand why this one was on there. They're a division leader, but it's the Cincinnati Bengals. It's a bad division leader, but I almost had to put them on because Andy Dalton's thrown the third most touchdowns in the league in the last two years. He proved us wrong last Thursday night. He won in primetime. Yeah, you put out the primetime stat, and I was with you. I was going Baltimore all the way. Mm-hmm. And then I get home, and A.J. Green's got three first-half touchdowns. And I was like, like it's all nothing. right, here we go. Um, but before, do you want to give our thoughts first or give the audience? reaction. Let's do the audience reaction first. Okay. So again, the question is, which team in the AFC would you be most scared to play against? And the legitimate answer is the Chiefs, Jaguars, and Patriots. And with 36% of the vote, the Jaguars are the team that our audience would least like their team to face in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that comes with the talk about which we've just finished, is that they torched the New England Patriots secondary last week. Blake Bortles looked good, their defense looked better, and their wide receiver core was solid. Um, Coming off two weeks, no one wants to play the best defense in the league. That's just not what you want to do, regardless of your talents. We've seen it with the Patriots, an offense that year in and year out has been able to produce the number one defense in the league, stifled them. To me, this is a classic regular season overreaction. I think you have to take the broad look at this and really think about if it were the playoffs, would you want to face the team that has Tom Brady or the team that has Blake Bortles? And I understand all of the reasons why Jacksonville is in this conversation, and they are a legitimate choice. To me, they're the second choice of these teams at the moment because of that defense. But would you really rather go up against them than, or excuse me, go up against Tom Brady than go up against them? I mean, I, I know there, there are weaknesses on this Patriots team, but when it comes to the playoffs, he covers all of them up. The dude put up 500 yards in last year's Super Bowl. So to me, the, the clear answer, in playoff time, in crunch time, you don't want to play the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. Yeah, and I think this question had a lot of um, interpretation to it, whether you meant your team is playing in Week 3, who do you not want to face? Your team is playing in Week 16, who do you want to face? Your team is playing in the Super Bowl, who do you want to face? I think anything... From the start of playoffs till the end, it's going to be the New England Patriots. You never want to see them, like you mentioned. Um, But I am more surprised of the popularity of the Kansas City Chiefs, Scott. That's another another recency bias. It's it's Pat Mahomes and the offense lighting things up. But But that defense is extremely weak. Yeah, I think they're secondary, especially with Barry They miss Marcus Peters and they miss Eric Berry. Um, That kind of loses it a little bit. But I think... If you, Brandon, had to vote, you would vote the New England Patriots? Yes. Patriots, then Jags for me. I would probably go Patriots, then Kansas City Chiefs. I think that while Bortles and the Jaguars look great, that has more beginning season vibes than the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs can actually sustain it. They're a potent offense, and Andy, and Reed is just a mastermind behind the microphone. Um, behind the microphone. Behind the microphone, yeah. He just yells in his mic the entire time. You ever, you ever watch Andy Reed compared to other coaches? You look at Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin goes... 20-yard line to 20-yard line, pacing back and forth, grabbing his players, yelling at his players. Andy Reid stays put on the 50. He doesn't move. He just is so smug. He can't move. And he just talks. Doesn't doesn't cover his mouth either because he's like, I don't care who sees. This is what we're going to do. Right. Uh, I'll he go takes his sweet old time. If you're an Eagles fan, you know how his clock management skills are. Um, let's go to the second one. This is Blue on Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. We're taking... Poll questions from Twitter, at WVD Sports is our account. The second poll is, which team in the NFC would you be most scared to play against? So the options, again, are your division leaders, the Los Angeles Rams, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Green Bay Packers, and the Philadelphia Eagles. And with a resounding 46% of the vote, our audience would be most scared to play against the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, and I think this kind of while it is similar to the first one of where is this game being played, is this game being played in week three or in the playoffs, um, I think this one doesn't have as much disparity. Like, if it's in the playoffs, it's the Patriots and it's no one else even close. This one can be any of these four different teams. Maybe not the Bucks for the playoffs, but the Buccaneers for the regular season, and I think that's where that one or two votes came from. But the Rams are the best team in football. Short and sweet. The Rams I disagree. Have- I think the Rams have the best defense. Second, they have the best defense in the NFC. 
Um, I think they have the most deadly offense in the NFC. They have the best running back. Jared Goff's taking leaps and bounds uh, above what you'd expect him to be. And their wideouts. Their wideouts are quick. Their wideouts are shifty. You have Cooper Cup. You have Robert Woods. Those really quick kind of dudes. And you have Todd Gurley. That's all you really need. I think they're the best team in the NFC. I mean, this, they're definitely the popular pick right now, right? When you go through all of the different power rankings for each uh, media outlet and so forth, it's going to be the Los Angeles Rams. And they're a fun team. They're everybody's preseason Super Bowl pick, too. I'm not convinced they've taken, taken leaps and bounds from last year. The defense is great. Todd Gurley is great. I don't know how good Jared Goff is. I know he's at least a league average quarterback. I know he's solid. But I need to see him play a tough team. I need to see him forced to throw the ball down the stretch in a game before I'm willing to say that Jared Goff has taken all these steps and all these receivers have made this into such a transcendent offense. They played the Raiders and the Cardinals, two of the worst teams in the NFL so far. And they handled business. They should get credit for that. But let me see the week four against the Vikings. Let me see them week six against Denver before I start to really believe in this team. They believe that they've changed from last year when they were a first-round exit by the Atlanta, or excuse me, the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, and I understand and I agree with what you're saying. Um, but, I mean, a few other things on the other teams in the poll that I think we need to talk about. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. give, I'll yeah, give you your, other teams. Yeah, your Philadelphia Eagles take. Um, I'm surprised that them and Green Bay were so close together. Um, I think that while the Eagles are still a, a pick, they're a great team, they have really not taking too many steps down, especially with Carson Wentz coming back. I'm surprised that they got as much votes as they did. I am a little bit too. I mean, I, I would have guessed for sure that the Rams would, would win this pretty handedly. Um, but to me, the the pick and the pick that I think should get a little bit more of a push in this poll is the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. That would be my pick right now, um, which... You probably are expecting me to say the Eagles. I think the Eagles have some flaws. They don't have really any receivers right now. Zach Ertz is hopefully going to be the number one option this week with Nelson Aguilar as the second guy. But they just signed Jordan Matthews off the street, who's going to start this week. Marcus, excuse me, Mark Wallace is on the IR. DeAndre Carter just got cut. Sheldon Gibson has two career catches. Kamar Aiken might be relied on this week. They're really thin in that spot. And in running back position, they're also thin. Jai likely won't play this week. Defensively, they're missing Timmy Jernigan up on that defensive line from last year. So they, they have flaws, and this team's not perfect, and Carson Wentz will cover up some of them, but he won't cover up all of them. Uh, so the the preseason kind of thought of this as an 11 or 12 win team, I think it's the same. But I lean towards Green Bay because of the same kind of reason why I lean toward New England is that if I'm just going up against one team, I don't want to play Aaron Rodgers. You saw what he did two Monday nights ago against the Chicago Bears, whether it was Sunday or Monday night, whenever that was, against the Chicago Bears. 20 to nothing, you get to some point in that game, and you're like, I just know Aaron Rodgers is going to bring them back. And that's just a scary guy to go up against. When you look at that team as a whole, the Green Bay Packers, they, I don't think, have as many threats as New England. I mean, New England, you have to be scared of Brady. you got to be scared of Gronk. you got to be scared of the whatever running back they want to pick up off the street. When you face Green Bay, you're scared of one person. That's Aaron Rodgers. I'm not I'm saying that... I'm a little that's... scared of Devontae Adams, too. Fair. Devontae Adams is a quality receiver. But that shouldn't discount the level of fear. I think teams are just as scared as Aaron Rodgers solo as they are... With Brady the, the and crew. Patriot machine. Yeah. Um... That is why I'm surprised that they didn't get more votes. I think it, it's also, again, what I mentioned before, whether people are thinking we're playing them next week or we're playing them in the playoffs. So I believe both of our playoff picks are going to be Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers if this game well, is And, and even if I see it as just one game, you know, a, a game for all the marbles or whatever you want to say. If, it, if it's, it's a regular season Aaron game, Rogers. I'd be more scared to play this Rams team because I think this Rams team can just beat you to the ground. The second thing with this Rams team that I think holds them back a little bit is when a team like Philadelphia goes out there to play them, when a team like Green Bay goes out there to play them, it's not a home crowd for them in Los Angeles. Yeah. So 
that factor as well comes into play. Like if, if we're talking about traveling to Lambeau to play the Packers versus going out west to play the Rams, if I'm a team like Philadelphia, if I'm a team like Minnesota, I'd much rather take my fans out west and have a home crowd to go play the Rams than go play the Packers in Lambeau or play the Saints in the Superdome. One quick thing on this. Again, we're talking about the teams that we'd be most scared to play against in the NFC. Our poll had the Rams, the Buccaneers, the Packers, and the Eagles, and the Rams took it at 46%. Where do you think the Vikings and the Saints would come in on this list if they were on the poll? They're not division winners, but you know they're right there with the teams that are on this list. I think that both of those teams would get the same amount of buzz, probably below the rating of the Rams and the Packers, probably around the buzz of the Philadelphia Eagles, my guess, because mm, I'd probably put the Saints have, a little above. Have people backed off the Vikings thing then? Because I thought there was a lot of hype for the Vikings coming into this season. And in two weeks, they've played pretty well. Tied Green Bay last week. They won in week one. Yeah, and I think if you're, we're interpreting this as a one-and-done, take it for all the marbles, I think the Vikings get a lot more um, votes because they're a great team. I mean, you saw what Kirk Cousins, the pass Kirk Cousins did to Stephon Diggs, and then the pass to Adam Thielen right before that. This team has weapons. Um, but buzz-wise, I think the Saints and the Vikings carry the same kind of weight because it has a great team like the Minnesota Vikings on both sides of the ball and a good team on both sides of the ball with Drew Brees. That's kind of where I'm at. Same thing, Green Bay and the Eagles. Two great teams. Eagles are probably better all around. Green Bay is Aaron Rodgers. That's fair. Anybody else factor in here? Falcons, Panthers? Listen, I, it's every week where I think this Carolina Panthers team is great. They haven't really supported my claims. Um, I'd be more scared of the Panthers than the Falcons. But NFC-wise as a whole, I think we've hit the powerhouses. Um, you can sprinkle in maybe a Seattle Seahawks team for the sake of Russell Wilson, but they're pretty bad. Chicago Bears, mm, same thing. Yeah, Good defense, but they're pretty bad. Same thing with Detroit. I think we've hit basically all the powerhouses uh, in each of the NFC. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. As Delaware makes their first trip to the Fargo Dome in Fargo, North Dakota, to take on the winners of six of the last seven national championships, North Dakota State has won 14 national titles in their football lineage. One of the topics that came up Monday at head coach Danny Rocco's press availability, and it was a natural one, is just what makes this program so good and sustainable to the level that they've been. And it come the conversation typically comes back to these same words, consistency and culture. Once that culture is defined and built and the team is able to recruit players into that program and get that winning orientation all set and squared away, like we've talked about a lot with James Madison, once a team like North Dakota State's able to do that, the consistency comes from their coaching and having talented players come in and out and a lot of competition at practices and such. And the result is one of the greatest runs that we've seen in the modern era of the FCS. And they're they're on their way again with the number one national ranking to begin this season and a 2-0 start to 2018. We have a six-time national champion going... Six and seven, 14 times overall. Right. Um, going up against a team that they've never played. You you can't make a prediction on how this game's going to go. You can have an idea, when I think people have the idea that it's going to be North Dakota State coming out and playing football and doing what they did best. Uh, probably similar to how they handled Richmond in 2015, about 33-7, to 7, something like that. Um, but it can go either way. Teams have never played each other. Um, this can almost be seen as a Delaware URI, just on a pretty much larger scale. A team that shouldn't win comes out and plays better. I don't think North Dakota State's going to let it happen like Delaware did, but you really can't go in there with that many uh, expectations for either team. You said you can't predict how this type of game is going to go, but that's exactly what we asked our audience to do on our final Twitter poll of the evening. Our question is, what's the margin of victory of this weekend's matchup between the Hens and the Bison? And the winning answer is North Dakota State by more than 20. That's 56% of the vote. Uh, we also had less than 20, North Dakota State wins, Delaware by more than 20, 
or Delaware by less than 20. I think my prediction would fall into the same camp as the majority of our vote at this point um, because this this team is just it's so talented. You talk about the defining elements of a team. You talk, you know, in in the pros you talk front office, coach, and quarterback. In college, it's really coach, quarterback, and then kind of the staff around that quarterback that enables you know quarterback year after year to come in and succeed. And this team has had two coaches in this run. Their coach right now, Chris Kleiman, is going into his sixth season, clearly defined leader of this team, leader of men. And the quarterback is a four-year starter in Easton Stick, who in 2015 came in for an injured Carson Wentz, went 8-0 the rest of the way, won a national championship as a redshirt freshman, and in the three years since has only lost three games as a starter for this team and has won two more national titles. So you start with that part of this team, and then you go position group by position group, and they have all-conference and all-American caliber players at nearly every part, offense, defense, and special teams. Yeah, this team is a run-first team, Easton Stick, only averaging about 100 or so yards per game. While it's not a lead, it's not packy ho, but their yards they on don't the ask ground. Them to do much. Yeah, their yards on the ground are crazy. Bruce Anderson, the leading rusher, is averaging 120 yards per game. And from what Almost I've seen, nine yards a carry. What I've read on them, yeah, those yards are coming easily. This he's he's averaging what it says here, eleven yards per carry, three touchdowns, and a long of eighty-six. I mean, this is a and their rushing column goes probably about six or seven players deep. About people that right. touch the ball, it's not just one touch. This is people who have had ten, fourteen. And when you're attempts. up on your week one opponent, forty-nine to three, a lot of different guys get opportunities to get in there. Yeah. And they're passing. You talked about Easton Stick. He has a, he's good. Two hundred ten yards, one touchdown on the season. But all their scoring comes from their running game and their defense. And they're not going to make mistakes. That's something that Delaware talked about on Monday. This team's not going to commit foolish penalties. They're not going to turn the ball over. They're going to get it in small chunks. And if they can, if they're effective in doing so, they're comfortable running the ball at you seventy percent of the time. They'll go first, second, and third down power, power, power right at you if you can't stop it. And that's the task now for the Blue Hens defense is to show up, have one of their top grade A games. Everybody's got to bring it. And then force North Dakota State into some more uncomfortable situations passing the football on second and third and longs because North Dakota State hasn't had to do that this season. That's not to say they can't do it. They probably can. But that's the hope, I think, if you're the Blue Hens defense, is the front seven really showing up, playing a quality game. Right now, they're second in the CAA and run defense. They're going to have to play their best game of the season in that department. And then hope that North Dakota State gets uncomfortable in some second and third down at longs, and then maybe force them into some mistakes. Yeah, and there was the interview with what you mentioned, head coach Chris Kleiman. He kind of said the same thing, is that the Blue Hens team isn't going to make many mistakes. Um, that's true. They have, he, they, he very mentioned they have a lot of seniors. They want to run the football, too. Yeah, and if we don't have a Kanai Kane game one where he just fumbles the ball left and right in key moments, besides that, this Blue End team really hasn't made many mistakes. Albeit their opponents are not um, forcing their mistakes. This team will be forcing mistakes more, but they haven't made mistakes either. So this is going to come down to the teams on paper who can play better because no one's given anyone anything. And it, what Kanai said was this is... 16 or 17, what he thought was returning seniors, and there's a lot of talent and leadership. So this is something that he's noticed, just like we've noticed for their team too. And it's a situation that if you're Delaware, you talk about those four different mistakes they made in week one and how one of them going the other way could have given you the win. In this type of matchup against North Dakota State, you can't have one of those plays. And even if you don't have any of those plays, there's still a good chance you're going to lose the game. But especially if you give North Dakota State easy opportunities in the beginning of the game and you're trying to climb back into it, it's going to be nearly impossible. Staying on schedule is another thing that they preached in that offensively you need to pick up modest gains on first and second down to get into third and shorts. And then from a defensive perspective, make North Dakota State have those long drives. Make them start at their 20-25 and go the length of the field and wear them down because if you give them first and goal at the 10, they're going to punch it in every time. I don't know if we mentioned this, but this is their homecoming. It is, yeah. This is North Dakota State's homecoming game that the Blue Hens have to come into. Uh, they are pretty good uh, come homecoming. I think their their overall record 
is 55-37-3 in homecoming games, which probably should be more in the win column. shouldn't be really that close. Um, and they have won seven straight. Their last uh, homecoming was against Missouri State. They have two players coming off um, national recognition. Um, Bryce Anderson, uh, sorry, Bruce Anderson, their running back, running back. Uh, earned their his first offensive player of the week uh, mention. And their center, Tanner Volson, earned his third Their career. offensive line is big. Yeah. That's... They average over 300 pounds for their five starters on the offensive line. And that's going to be tough for our shifty, quick right. defense. Right. You think about Delaware's best pass rusher right now maybe being Armin Ware. Armin Ware, Who is Reader. a quasi-defensive end linebacker. Uh, Colby Reader's status is still in question for this game, so you can't really count him in. Frank Burton had success week one. Even if you have, like, but Malcolm Brown rushing from really the edge. Sustain that. Yeah, I mean, even those safeties are probably going to inch their way closer to the line of scrimmage because of North Dakota's success with the running game. But the size of Delaware's defensive line is definitely not where it was last year when you think about NFL guys, Blau Nichols and Blaine Woodson with 6'7", John Nassib. So that's another thing that you you have to then go back and lean on some of those more experienced guys, Troy Reed or Malcolm Brown, this year Adderley, Ray Jones, to make plays out of position because you can't expect where Ashworth, Burton, to come up and make plays against that defensive line against these running backs. North Dakota State has 11 players on the Missouri Valley all all Missouri Valley football team. That's kind of that's our all CAA team. They have 11 players, which when you put it into perspective may not seem like a lot, but think of all the other teams and how many players really make that all CAA team. There are 22 11 there are 22 nice spots on that's first half. team and 22 spots on second team. And almost all of them are their offense and on their line. North Dakota State and Delaware will be this weekend at 145. Our pregame coverage begins. This is Blue Hen Sports Cage right now, rolling on from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. as we do every Thursday, two hours of Sports Talk Radio. Delaware 2-1 and one on the season after wins against Cornell and Lafayette in weeks 3-2, and two. and in week 1, a disappointing 21-19 loss against Rhode Island. Jake, as we wrap up this segment, to you, and I guess I'll preface this, this by saying I thought there was an interesting comment by Malcolm Brown on Monday where he said, you know, we're not going up there to keep this game close. We're not going up there for a moral victory. Um, that's something that I think they did take away from last year's Virginia Tech game. I think they were proud of the way they competed, especially defensively. But he said this time we're going up there to win, and we know it's going to be tough, but we're not, we're not going to satisfy ourselves with with this type of, okay, we had a good showing. So so my question going off of that to you, Jake, is with that being said, looking from the outside in, what to you would be a good showing? Obviously the expectation is not that Delaware wins this football game. If they come out on the losing side, what would be the types of things that you would want to see to still be encouraged by this team and their effort in this game? I just want Delaware to have a shot. And what I mean by shot is not a, a second quarter I want them to have a fourth-quarter shot to win this football game. Um, if it turns out that Pat Kehoe has to put together two good drives and the North Dakota defense just does what they need to do, so be it. But they need to give the opportunity to win this football game. I don't, I'm not saying they need to stay close. they got to make it close eventually. But it's not like what I mentioned before. We're going to see this team again. That's why it's not moral victory. This is a victory on the scoreboard that's going to make this team, bless you, something impressive. Um, so if I can give a general synopsis, I want there to be at least one opportunity where the Blue Hens can drive downfield and get the lead, get the tie, or just make this game interesting in the fourth quarter. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Delaware began this season ranked 15th nationally, but after their week one loss against Rhode Island, they quickly fell out of that ranking and I've not made it back since, though they do receive votes in this week's Stats FCS Media Top 25 poll. There are a handful, a good handful, six teams from the CIA above Delaware in the FCS Top 25. We're going to kind of stack them up against the Blue Hens as we approach Delaware's open date and the beginning of not, excuse me, conference play in a couple of weeks. They go as follows. Number two overall, James Madison. No surprise there. They're coming off 
a 73-7 victory against Robert Morris a week ago today. Elon at number 12, they've yet to lose. Their game last week was postponed because of Hurricane Florence. At 13, a little bit of a surprise, the Maine Black Bears, after defeating New Hampshire in upset fashion week one, and then the FBS Western Kentucky team in week two, they're up at number 13. 15 is Villanova. The Wildcats lost to Towson last week, 45-35, to but opened their season with a win against Temple. At 20, it's the Stony Brook Seawolves. And at 23, rounding out the CAA's teams in the top 25, is Rhode Island. The Rams lost to UConn 56-49. to They proved that their offense was legit, and they defeated Delaware and Albany to start the season 2-0 in CAA play. Going through those teams, obviously James Madison has been the class of this conference for quite some time now. But there are some schools that you don't typically think of as CAA powerhouses that now have proven to be consistently up there in the Elon or even newcomers again like Maine, who we didn't see in the top 25 at all last year, but we see as high as 13 in this week's poll. Yeah, both Maine and Rhode Island are the two shockers to me. Um, I'm surprised Stony Brook's on this list, but I was low on Stony Brook in the beginning, and they've just proved that I was too low on them. I knew they were a talented football team. Uh, Maine and Rhode Island specifically – you mentioned it. They proved their offense is legit. They beat Delaware. Their offense wasn't great, but they beat Delaware. They shouldn't have beat Delaware. 12th rated C at preseason, 12-12. Uh, they shouldn't have beat Delaware. Um, but they put up 49 points against UConn. Um, An FBS team. I'll say it now. If Delaware wins week one, tw- the 23rd rated team right now, maybe higher, will be Delaware. Um which they'd, will, they'd be hot. I mean, they wouldn't have really fallen. They started at they, 15. They'd be sure you know at the time. Yeah, they'd be at least 15, if not higher. Um, But yeah, Rhode Island and Maine are their, my two surprises. And I think Maine is more surprising because they're that high. I don't think Maine's the 13th best team. I mean, I'd pick they're Villanova over them. I'd pick Stony Brook over them. But they've proved themselves. They've played well. And they got the upset right off the bat against New Hampshire. What do you think of Villanova? I think that's a tough team to get a peg on at this point in the season because they look great. They beat Temple. who's not a great FBS team, but they're an FBS school. They beat them week one. They beat Lehigh, I believe, week two. And then they come out last week and lose to Towson, who is one of those teams at the bottom of the conference. They do have some talent. Their quarterback, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes, Tom Flacco, has been great leading the CAA in passing yards per game so far this season. But on paper, that's a game that Villanova definitely should have won. So taking that loss to Towson in combination with the win against Temple, what do you think of this Villanova team? Are they a legitimate national contender, CAA contender? No, I don't think so. They're second in the CAA in total offense, uh, overall rushing defense. They're fourth in the CAA where they start to drop as this rushing offense. They're five in rushing offense and overall seventh in scoring offense. They're a middle-of-the-pack CAA team. Um, that's where they are. And I am surprised that a middle-of-the-pack CAA team on the stat uh, sheet is rated at number 15. I'm not too high on them. But but we've seen plenty of times that I've been wrong on my predictions of teams. I'm not high on this team. I don't think they do anything great. I don't think they do anything poorly. But if you want to be rated in the top 25, you have to do something greater. I have to have some redeeming factor. Stony Brook so far, so far so good, kind of playing to expectations in their first couple of games. They come in at number 20, and then it's Rhode Island at 23, who is 2-1. Again, the loss last week to UConn, but that might be what's given them the most prestige, having proven that they can score 49 points against an FBS team. That or their win against Delaware. But then they also beat Albany in Week 2, who is a CAA bottom feeder, but it's a conference win in the hardest conference in the FCS, so it counts for something. They're in there at 23. Delaware is receiving votes in this poll, and you know, obviously, if they win this weekend, that will completely change things. They will be very high in this poll, um, maybe even possibly above North Dakota State if they beat them this weekend. But taking it beyond just this game to the first couple of games of CAA play, you know, what would it take for Delaware to put themselves back up into this conversation where they had started the year, put them back up into kind of that middle of the pack as far as teams in the CAA in the national poll. 
I'm, I think they need to get, first of all, don't get blown out by North Dakota State. At least make it a competitive Good football showing. game. Yeah. Um, but once CAA play starts, they need to beat those fringe teams. They need to beat their Stony Brooks. They need to beat their Richmonds. They need to Towson. beat their Towson's, their UNH's. Towson at home. Um, you need to get the job done against those teams so the CAA voters and the whole entire panel can see you choked up against URI week one. Week one jitters. Pat Kehoe's third uh, collegiate snap was the first snap of that game. Like, okay, you can maybe kind of sort of discount that first Rhode Island loss because they were playing so well. So I think they need to just take care of business to be back in that CAA conversation. And that's kind of the the part of this where you start rooting for Rhode Island if you're a Blue Hens fan because the higher that they go on this ranking and the more wins and successful showings they have... The loss doesn't look as bad. Exactly. The better you feel about losing in week one to them. If they finish the season, let's say top 20, Rhode Island does. If you're Delaware, if you have an 8-3 and three or 7-4 and four record, you can go and say, well, we, we only lost to the teams that are nationally ranked, right? We only lost to Rhode Island, and let's say maybe they lose to Elon. You go, we, we lost to Rhode Island and Elon. They're in the top 20. We beat everybody else. We deserve to be in this mess. When we played a national top top number one team, we played them close. Like That could be part of the argument, but it it's incumbent on a couple of things, like you said, them beating the teams that they're supposed to. They can't have another Rhode Island-type loss where they're expected to win big time, and then they lose. And then they also could be helped by the fact of Rhode Island continuing to bolster their own resume and raising up in these rankings. A few things on Rhode Island. Uh, quarterback Juwan Lawson just notched his second consecutive offensive player. Uh, he garnered the second consecutive CAA Football Offensive Player of the Week award. Uh, he's second overall in the nation in points responsible for. He's responsible for 66 points on the URI side. Uh, only Eastern Washington has more. Uh, their quarterback has 72. He's completed 70% of his passes, throwing for almost 850 yards and nine touchdowns. This is not a name we talked about when we talked about elite quarterbacks in the CAA. Um, I don't think any of us predicted Jawan Lawson to be this good. We knew the run game was good. We knew they had a few sneaky pass catchers. The defense really wasn't that good. But he's he's made his mark on the CIA and is really sticking it to a lot of the teams he's playing. When you look at the passing leaders in the conference, it's not just Jawan Lawson, too. There are a lot of guys in that top 10 list that at the beginning of this year you would have not pointed to. And it, it goes to show kind of the nature of this league. But at the top spot, it's Tom Flacco of... Towson, a guy who transferred from Rutgers right before the season here. Then it's Zach Benarchik, so a guy that you would say, okay, yeah, Villanova, Benarchik coming off the injury, he's going to be one of the top guys in the CAA. But you get to Lawson, who by far is the biggest surprise of any of these guys. And then Vincent Testaverde, who had to battle in training camp to get that job at Albany. And then Delaware's own Pat Kehoe, right in the mix at number five, middle of the pack but a solid 245 passing yards per game, well above what Delaware has been able to accomplish through the air in the past few seasons. You talk about Trevor Knight heading into this season. He suffered an injury week one. We haven't seen him come back for UNH. A lot of talk was about Joe Carbone just because he yep. was a returning starter for Stony Brook. He's not inside the top 10. Instead, it's some of these new faces, including Kehoe, including Lawson, and then Flacco, the brother of Joe Flacco, Tom Flacco at Towson. And rushing... It's the same same case. Right. Delaware, middle of the pack. Can I Kane? Right. Where's Elijah Ibatokan Hanks? Yep. He's not in the top. Instead, it's Jordan Gowans, who was who's in a timeshare right now with Donald Leotine, and both of those guys are top three. Yeah. Last week, uh, last Brook. season, when Delaware played Stony Brook at Stony Brook, Leotine was the guy. Uh, I don't know if he garnered more touches, but he definitely got more of the attention. But we knew that they weren't like fully sold on him from start to finish. So to have two Stony Brook players in the top three, again, kind of comes back to me because I was low on them. I didn't think this team was good, but that's, it's early, that, but that's a it's threat. It's so impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we took, if I had to pick a preseason all-CIA team, I would have I gone Ibatugan Hanks from Albany, who has not really played much. I would have gone Malcolm Summers from Elon, who's not even leading his team. He's eighth in the league, but Thomas, 82 yards. He's second in the league. And then I would have 
talked about Aaron Forbes and Kanai Kane, who are right in the middle of the pack. But again, in this category, uh, another shakeup at the top. And kind of the last skill group guy for the Blue Hens who has been able to put himself in the mix is Joe Walker at wide receiver. And he's at number nine in receiving yards per game. A lot of it due to his big week last week, but he's got 78.7 a game. In this category, do you kind of see the standbys with the exception of Dev Holmes, the freshman from Albany, who averages 153 yards per game, 43 more than the next guy, Devontae Dedman, who is a returning senior for Al- or excuse me, for William & Mary. And then Aaron Parker for URI was a preseason all-CAA guy. He's got 103 yards per game to be number three. Yeah, both of those two guys, Dedman and Parker, we could have predicted were up here. I don't yeah. think anyone predicted a freshman to be the top of the CAA. But Joe Walker at nine is interesting to me because he wasn't even the wide receiver one of this team. We didn't even think he was going to be the wide receiver one of this team. Well, I think... We weren't sold on Jamie Jarman either, but... We we did those breakout things, and when we ranked the guys, we said, there's a chance this guy is, is the best receiver on this team. And I, w- I, would have, I would have felt good about saying that. Yeah, so now Joe Walker is up against and fighting pretty hard. I mean, he has 78 yards per game... He gets, what, two more catches? He springs up to eight. And that can be this North Dakota game. I assume Delaware's going to be pass-heavy because they're going to be behind for the most part. And this can be Joe Walker's game to kind of spike up those stats a little bit, pad those stats. Uh, one more player I do want to talk about a little bit is um, Dejuan Lee. He is second in the CAA in kick return average. And we talked about that especially against URI. He's been putting Delaware in great field position with his speed on the kick returns, and that's going to be also important against North Dakota. I want to see a little bit more Leo on offense this week, too. He had 11 carries for 93 yards, all in the first half against Lafayette in Week 2. I thought he looked really explosive. And then we didn't see a lot of him last week against Cornell, just four carries for 17 yards. Cornell really stacked the box. They forced Delaware to throw the ball deep down the field, and they were able to do so. A lot of those passes to Papali and Walker, as we've talked about, it didn't leave that many openings for Kanai Kane, and they really didn't get Lee into the game much because they didn't establish Kane at first, and they really had to go to the pass earlier in the game than they probably would have liked to. Coming into this matchup against North Dakota State, the same type of thing could happen, but it would be really nice for this team if they could get both Kane and Lee going and get both of those guys rotating in and out, keeping them fresh, and kind of like Kehoe and Rocco talked about earlier this week, keeping Delaware on schedule, keeping them ahead of the sticks with good first and second down pickups. 